Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. As you know, Sam is not here, and they couldn't find anyone better to fill in tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing. So, um... I'm excited to to share a little bit about what's been on my heart lately, and I'd like to approach tonight not so much as uh, a teacher, but as kind of a fellow sojourner with you guys, and and just kind of let you know this what what I want to share tonight is actually something that I'm not really good at, and so I'm going to ask you guys to hold me accountable to this because it's, it's going to get a little practical. But I thought I'd start by reading this article that I found in the Huffington Post. Don't judge me. (laughs) It's the Huffington Post. Um, This is an article written uh, by a guy named John McKnight, who also wrote a book called The Abundant Community, Awakening the Power of Families and Neighborhoods. And he wrote this article in the Huffington Post. It's actually part of their blog section that's called Have We Forgotten What It Is to Be Neighborly? So not a Christian, not writing to Christians, just a guy writing a blog uh, about something he's noticed in our society. Uh, So it goes like this. He says, I was born in 1931 during the Great Depression. We lived in a working-class neighborhood in Cincinnati with many country people who had migrated from the hills of Kentucky and Tennessee. Lots of men in my neighborhood were out of work. Many hadn't had a job in several years. In fact, The New Deal programs often didn't reach us until four or five years after Roosevelt was elected. Next door to us lived a jobless family with three kids. They were from the Cumberland Valley in Kentucky. My Irish Catholic mom felt very uneasy about our neighbors because the kids wore raggedy clothes, seemed dirty, and most of the time they were what she uh, called, quotes, out of hand. I'm sure she would have preferred that, they, that we would have lived in a neighborhood like the small Ohio town where she was raised, but we were lucky to be in Cincinnati because my dad had a job. Almost every evening, my mother 
prepared a dinner for 10 people, enough for the five of us and the five neighbors next door. She continued to do this until our neighbor found a job. We also had an old car. Most of our neighbors didn't. And when they needed to go somewhere important where you couldn't walk or take the streetcar, they asked my dad if he would drive them. He always made time. When I was in my 30s, and most Americans were doing pretty well, I asked my mother and father why they had made dinner and drove the car for people that lived next door. I thought they probably did it from a sense of charity, but I was wrong. Instead, they said, well, everyone was helping each other back then. We weren't any different. What would that family have done if we didn't give a hand? And besides... They were our neighbors. I've done some reading, same guy, still writing. I've done some reading about the Great Depression. There were millions of people out of work throughout the 30s, but millions survived because of help from kinfolk and the support of their neighbors. My dad, like lots of people back then, had a greeting. Hi, neighbor. What he meant was, we're all in this boat together. He expected neighbors to help him out if he was down and out too. What do you think would happen among our neighbors if millions of unemployed people ran out of employment compensation? Would we make dinner for them, drive them where they needed to go, help them find a job? Across America today, families are being uh, disseminated by foreclosures of their homes, and this usually happens because they have lost a job. Some of those people live in our neighborhoods. So he kind of leaves it with a challenge. This is how it used to be. This used to be the norm. The norm used to be that people helped each other out of a sense of neighborliness. This isn't, we haven't even talked about faith yet. This was just the norm. The law of the land was we care for people because this could very easily be us in this situation. And so... I read about um, uh, Arvada, Colorado, where a group of pastors uh, got together, and they were kind of dreaming together and, and wanted to see what would happen if these churches got together. How could we really impact our community? And um, they invited the mayor because they thought, who would know our community's needs better? And they said, what should we do? And the mayor said, we have a lot of unique problems in our city, in our communities, and most of them, most of them would be made better if we were just all good neighbors to each other. And so I, <laughs> I read where one of the pastors said, talk about being convicted. This was the mayor of the city talking to pastors, basically telling us to do what the scriptures already have told us to do. We just haven't deployed. We just haven't acted on it yet. So, I mean, consider the 1930s, the the special needs maybe of the Great Depression. That was something else, something else altogether. But look at, you know, I guess in picture, what it looks like from the 1930s era to a nice new home in Upland, California today. 
Notice that the garage is attached, <laughs> right? I, I personally like that. But what happens then is we drive into our garage and the door automatically closes. We get out of our car and we go directly into our house. We have no need for neighbors. We might have neighbors that we wave to when we drive by them. And if we do that, by today's standards, we're doing pretty well. The American family is shrinking, but American, the average American house size is about 2,400 square feet nowadays. The house sizes are getting bigger. The families are getting smaller. The TVs are enormous. There's almost no need to go to a movie theater anymore because the surround sound system you can buy at the store sounds better than the theater. The convenience of modern houses, I'm not slamming them because I enjoy them as well, but they have done something to the way we see the world. And this whole idea of individualism that's really, really popular in our, in our culture uh, goes really against the idea of being a good neighbor. So today, despite the internet, despite Facebook, and the way we connect maybe that way, despite cell phones that are always in our pockets, always in our purses, always on our hip, despite those things, despite maybe academic or professional connections, as we call them, people are more secluded than they've ever been. People are more lonely than they've ever been. So if it wasn't for maybe going to the grocery store and going to work, there's not really a good reason for people to leave their houses anymore. And nowadays, you can even order food to be delivered to your house, thanks to things like Amazon Fresh. So I'm just, first, I'm, like, I'll just lay this out. I'm, I'm, this is the problem. I just want to point it out. Then I want to point out what the scriptures say about the problem. And then I want us to kind of brainstorm and figure out how we're going to find a solution. Does that sound all right? This is what the scriptures say. Mark 12, 31, of course, this is familiar, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus, in case we wanted to argue that. He was quoting Leviticus 19.18, where he says, where it was written, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He says it again in Matthew 22.39, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul in Romans 13 declares it again. He says, this is kind of an interesting context, so I want to read the whole paragraph. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's Romans 13, 8 through 10. In Romans 15, verse 2, Paul says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 John 4, 21, And this commandment we have from him, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of us speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. James 2.8 If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. It's from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's throughout the scriptures, the simple command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And now I know that there are, uh, there are other places, uh, particularly, I, I think Sam touched on the Good Samaritan a couple of weeks ago, and we know that from that scripture, uh, the challenge to Jesus was, well, who is my neighbor? If I, if I have to be good to my neighbor, well, who is that? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is that? And then Jesus gives us that parable of the Good Samaritan pointing out that your neighbor might be someone that you don't really like very much. And it gets really challenging <laughs> when we get to that part. I have one more. Uh, I think I have a slide for it. So you can read this one along with me. From Galatians chapter 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Look at that, verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't mean, I'm telling you, I'm bad at this. I, I, because I knew I was going to be teaching on this tonight, I actually went and met one of my neighbors. <laughs> we're new. We're fairly new to the, na- the neighborhood. We live in an apartment complex, which makes it all the more maybe awkward. Um, but I met Casey next door. Uh, and I know that some of you, I mean, we spent time at, at Gil and Mary's house, so I know that you guys know your neighbors. And I was like, this is, I actually was inspired by that, by like, seeing how interactive you guys were. Because I know that I've lived in neighborhoods where I don't know anybody. Where I grew up and I lived 18 years of my life and my parents still live in that same house. I knew one guy that lived across the street. And that's because he helped me fix my car one day when it wouldn't start. He was neighborly. For the most part, I think there's some work that we can all do in this area because it's really a big challenge, especially... uh, when, when Jesus tells us that this, the Samaritan, the person that the Jews disliked maybe the most, that's who you're supposed to love. It's a big, big challenge for us. The truth is, if we get complacent about our neighbors, if we've lived in a, a house for a year or two years or five years or 20 years, and we kind of get used to the fact that we drive by these people and maybe we wave, maybe we know their names. But we haven't got, we haven't, I mean, how can we say that we love our neighbors if we haven't got to know our neighbors? And so that is kind of the challenge that I want to lay out before us tonight. I have a couple of questions. What if Jesus literally meant (laughs) love your neighbor? What if this wasn't just a figurative thing that we can go, oh yeah, Jesus sometimes talks in hyperbole and I don't have to follow that to the T. 
but I don't think we can get away from this one. It's all over the Bible. And then secondly, what if Jesus meant love your literal neighbor? I think that sometimes we take that parable of the Good Samaritan to mean he wasn't talking about the people that live around us. He was talking about people and, you know, that we, maybe that we work with. Those are people that we have to love. Or people, <laughs> we make it easy on ourselves sometimes, people that we have lots in common with. Those are the people that I'm supposed to love. And those are true those are true things. It isn't. Jesus did say it's the people that you come into contact with as you're going. But what if he means your literal neighbor? What if he means the guy that plays the loud music or has the barking dog? <laughs> what, if, what if that's the guy? What if that's the guy you're supposed to love? And we all have that one neighbor, right? No? Is it just me? <laughs> we have uh, we have one of those neighbors. He actually lives right next door to us. So I met I met uh, I told you I met Casey. He he just moved in, so that was easy because he just moved in, and I could say, "Hey, are you new here? I haven't seen you before." And we chatted a little bit in the hallway, and it was good. But I know the guy that lives on the left of me, and I don't want to run into him in the hallway. <laughs> I. I <laughs> <laughs> I have work to do. I have work to do in this area. So here's what I'd like to do. I know that um, to, to see ourselves in this light, to see ourselves as maybe loving our neighbors, loving people that we don't have a lot in common with, loving the guy with the barking dog or the loud music or the, whatever it is. We have a little bit of ganja smell coming over from our neighbor on the left. We get that. Whatever it is, what if, what if we approached our neighborhood like a foreign mission field? Just thinking through it. So maybe you guys, we can, we can pipe up a little bit. What are some things that missionaries do to prepare for a long-term missions trip? They learn the language. Good. What else? Pray? Absolutely. Hopefully. <laughs> yes. Learn to love the people no matter how different they are. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Understand the culture. Yes. Yeah. Because we, I mean, because, yes, Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with short-term mission trips, and I know we have one coming up, and that's fantastic. And those take less preparation, although I know you... There's lots of preparation, even for a day trip. So now imagine if you're going there for a year, three years, or you're moving into the neighborhood. Because I also want to kind of... When I, when I think about the God that we serve, and when I think about how Jesus approaches humanity, this is what he did. He moved in to the neighborhood, right? That's, that's what it means when it says that he came and tabernacled among us. He came in and moved in. And I think that if I were God, and we're all thankful that I'm not, I would have chosen a time and a place where there was air conditioning and flowing water and, 
and jeans instead of robes and, and you know, good shoes instead of sandals. I would have chose a completely different era to come visit people. But Jesus loved us, and, and Paul tells us that in the fullness of time, he came. He came as a missionary. He came speaking the language of the people, dressing in the kind of clothes that the people wore at the time. He got to know their culture. He spoke their language. He loved them unconditionally, and he prayed for them. Those are the things that missionaries do. So what if we just reflected Jesus in our neighborhood? What if we just did those things? Now, vastly different people, even different subcultures in our own culture. But think about your neighbors through the eyes of Jesus for a minute, this missionary God. And you're a missionary in your neighborhood. And your motivation isn't stars, you know, scoreboard or anything like that. Your motivation is just to love your neighbor, just to love them. What would it look like? Very difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, even a relationship. Now, I, I know that because I live in an apartment complex, I, I know some of the statistics of apartment complexes, and I don't know them so much in suburban areas, but in an apartment complex, the, the statistic is that 95% of the people don't go to church. That's a huge percentage. That's a huge mission field. I also know that about 50% of people that live in an apartment community say they don't have any friends in their own apartment community. A lot of people are just kind of coming and going. Not a lot of people are staying and investing. And we're not even talking about sharing our faith or anything else. We're just talking about loving on people. Step one. So, yeah, if we think of our neighborhoods like a missionary thinks of a mission field, if we think about the way Jesus approaches humanity and we think we want to be a reflection of that, then to the neighbors that we have in our own, maybe there's neighbors in our, on our street that don't speak our language and maybe we should start by learning their language. Or maybe we can find out something about them and, and, and in some way bless them. Now, this is... This is missionary work. I'm talking about, I guess another way of asking this question is what would it look like if the kingdom of God broke through on our street? And what would that look like? What is true religion in the eyes of God? Caring for widows and orphans. Are there any widows in our neighborhoods? Are there kids without fathers? Are there kids without fathers that are going to grow up to look for the acceptance of somebody else and maybe end up in a place that they shouldn't be because they never got the acceptance of somebody who, could, who they could look up to? See, the kingdom of God entering into our street would make a difference in our community. Right? And that's what we are. We are ambassadors of that. If we just cared for people with their many and difficult needs oftentimes, what would it look like? 
I read about a study. There's a book called Missional Entrepreneur. And I read about this study where, where they, uh, there was two groups of missionaries that they were sending to, to uh, Thailand. And they had similar strategies to a point. They both wanted to go into the, into learn the culture, learn the language, start a business. And one group, they, their end goal was to be a blessing. They wanted to bless the people in their community. The other group, their end goal was to see conversions for Christ. And in the study, they discovered that after two years in the mission field, the converters had two, two conversions. The blessers had a hundred. And not only did they see conversions to Christ, but they saw their neighborhoods change. They saw social good happen in that. So I just want to point that out. There's, there's something about this model, and it's all the way back to Genesis 12, where God is talking to Abram, and he says that I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Do you see? He's blessed to be a blessing, as are we. And so... Here is the blessing strategy. I stole this. I'm not this original. If we could do this, just this much, with our neighbors, what would our community look like? Just the few of us in this room, if we could do this, be as easy, we can do that. We can, we can begin with prayer. Listen. So we learn to be active listeners. So we're not preaching. We're not going to their house to tell them about Jesus quite yet. We're just going to listen to their needs first. We're going to listen to the things that they love, the things that break their hearts. We're going to find out who they are. We have to learn them. Eat. We do that pretty well. So we're going to commune maybe over um, coffee or invite them over for a meal we are fortunate to live in a, uh, in an apartment complex. In this regard, there is a really nice community room or a swimming pool that we can invite people over to and just hang out, get to know them. And we can start by praying with, for them, with them, listening to them, learning them. We can commune with them because this is where really community starts to happen. Serve. And I said, find a way to surprise them after you've listened to them, after you've heard about the things that they love, maybe just do something that will blow them out of the water. Something they wouldn't expect, something they wouldn't expect from an ordinary neighbor. See, that, that town that I told you about, Arvada in Colorado, when, when they got together, those pastors got together, and they asked the mayor, what can we do? The next thing they did was they went to the, I think it was the assistant uh, city director, and they asked her her input as well, and she said, I want to be honest with you. There is very little difference between the way Christians and non-Christians neighbor. We can't tell. We don't see a difference. We should be able to see a difference. We are blessed to be blessings. And so we begin with prayer. We listen. We learn. We eat. We serve. And then finally, when we've earned the right, we story. 
We tell them our story. We tell them how Jesus has changed our lives. Once we know their story, we can see where to apply our story. It's not that hard to do. It's just really uncomfortable to get started. It's out of our comfort zone. It's not something that we've thought about a lot, maybe. But tonight is just the spark. And I hope, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into this as a novice. I, I, I want to know more than just Casey. There are 10 apartments on our, on our level. And I want to make it a goal to get to know every one of those families. Bree's like, oh, great. <laughs> Um, but by way of uh, maybe inspiring, I wanted to show a video really quickly of, uh, of a woman. She lives up in uh, Washington State. So she's going to tell you her story as a neighborhood missionary. And um, I thought maybe this would be good for us all to hear. Someone who's been there and done it since I'm just a learner. So what are the, some of the things that she said, that she did, that we can do? She opened her house. She, she made a very welcoming environment. So just a couple of, because I know she said like, that this woman, Nikki, became part of their MC. That's their small group. That's what they call their small group at their church. So, uh, and, and she said that Nikki came to faith. I just want to make sure that we're, we're, we're seeing all these puzzles because the first thing that they did was just let the, the lady know that they were there. And if she needed anything, that they... The, you know, whatever it was. It was just the, just the first step. They didn't go knock on our door and hand her a, a track. And I, I'm, not, I'm not against tracks. <laughs> but that wasn't what they did here, right? They, they took this long, she said, long-suffering approach. And they found out her needs. Uh, I, I know a little bit more of the story because there's a, her, her husband also tells the story. So Nikki was uh, widowed for 17 years a recluse for 17 years. So it took a long time to kind of break through the wall. And you even heard her say she gave up after a year, a year of just trying to reach out to the lady. It can be difficult. But, but right when she said, like, this is it, this is enough, and I prayed, that lady came to her house. Right? There's definitely a need in our time of secluded individuals secluded families, there is a need for community. And the Bible has the best blueprint for community that's ever been written. So what are, what are some other things that, you, that stood out that you thought were interesting? Anything else? It's a different world. Yeah, I agree, and it's very easy to it's very easy to come home and plop down on the couch and turn on the TV and just get lost because it's because life is hard. Let's be real, life is hard. So the minute you have to kind of maybe indulge in yourself and and just you know self soothe with a with a remote, it's it's a lot easier. But if we don't, if we don't take the first step to level on our neighbors, who will? So here's the challenge. We'll use, we'll use the, the blessed strategy. 
you guys need to see it again, it's pretty easy, right? Begin by praying, listen, learn, eat with them, serve them, and eventually when you've earned the right, share your story with them. And remember Galatians 5.14, where it says the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So the challenge is we start with a number. Maybe it's three neighbors. Maybe it's six neighbors. Maybe it's nine neighbors. There's going to be a hard one in that number, right? There's going to be somebody that's like, oh, man, I have to talk to that guy. <laughs> but we do this. We start by praying for those names. We get to know the names. If we don't know the names already, we got to know their names first. So introduce yourself. We start to pray for them. And we, this is a long process. We're not going to do this in a week. We start to listen to them. We start to hear where their needs are. We learn their felt needs. And, and when we get good at this, we're going to learn how the gospel applies to every need that they have. And we're going to be able to speak this into their life eventually when they're ready to hear it. And we'll know when they're ready to hear it because we're going to be praying for them. And we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in all of this. But we're going to pray. We're going to listen. We're going to maybe have them over for dinner or invite them out to a restaurant or something of that nature, coffee, whatever it might be. And when we get to know them just a little bit more than they'd expect, then we're going to serve them. We're going to bless them. And eventually we're going to tell them why. Why? Why would, why would we do something like this? Why would we, instead of sitting down on our couch and watching TV, what would drive us to go make this effort to get to know our neighbors? There's no good reason for it except for love. And that love because we were loved first. Amen? It's just getting behind the fences and, and getting to know people. And... Um, Simple as that. And then maybe deploying the whole strategy. So um, pick a number. You don't have to tell me, but pick a number in your head. I'm going to get to know three neighbors or six neighbors or nine neighbors. And then we'll ask each other, how's the neighborhood project going? And we'll follow up with each other. Because I want you guys to hold me accountable too, okay? You can ask me, and I'll, and I'll be honest. And I'll say, I, I haven't talked to that guy yet. <laughs> we have named guys, but we don't know their names, so we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Pothead next door, and that's <laughs> Diaper Dog. He's got a little dog that wears a diaper. <clears throat> the nicknames are awesome. Yeah. Because I do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Beard Guy down the... Anyways, let's get to know their real names. Let's start. Can we do it? Yes, sir. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father, so thankful for the way you love us. So, so thankful for uh, Jesus as our missionary example into our neighborhoods and into Mexico and into um, the places that you speak to us, that you give us passions for and vision for. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that um, as we start here in Upland, but we go wherever you send us, wherever you lead us. Help us to be good neighbors, wherever we are. 
But starting here, starting here where we are, starting where we live, help us to see our neighborhood as a mission field and help us to live as a reflection of Jesus who came to live among us so that we would have hope and life in eternity. So thankful for all of these things. Speak to us, move in us, give us passions for, for the people that we see on a daily basis that we've gotten so used to that we kind of don't even pay attention to anymore. The least of these. Give us a passion and a renewed sense of urgency that we can reach these people, not of our own good efforts, but through your spirit. And move us, move us in our, in our emotions, in our spirit, in our intellect, and help us to discover ways, if it's a neighborhood watch or it's a neighborhood barbecue or whatever it might be, help us think of ways to get to know them to love on them, to show them who you are and to bring them into your family. So we're thankful. We ask for your help and we ask Holy Spirit, what's next? (laughs) You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.